I've heard it said that out of 10, 10 people die. So the odds of getting out of this life alive is not that high. We uh, have a certain amount of, of life here on this earth and after it will eventually pass along. And it seems the fascination of all the world, what happens after death or what, ha what, what life and death is. Some people, they like to imagine that through evolution and science, we can prolong our lives and extend the years that we have been given. Well, they th don't think that they've been given anything, but they hope that science and evolution will be, the, will be the way to eternal life. Others are obsessed with death, on the other hand, and this could be either through cults or sects or religions or lifestyles. And uh, they revel in death and the macabre. And uh, some others yet see death as the end. There's nothing after it. There's just nothing. There's no existence, no further life. It's just the end. We return to dust. And... Uh, Richard Dawkins, an atheist and scientist, has said that the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Some people do not care for, an, for a purpose or want an afterlife. They just want it to end and are left with no hope in the world. What do we believe about this? life, this death that we face. Do we have hope in the life to come? I will spoil it before we get to it. Yes, we have hope. We have hope. Romans fifteen thirteen says that, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And also in Romans 5, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This message will talk about uncertainty, grief, pain, but ultimately hope. Let us look at what this hope looks like. So in John 11 and all over John, the Gospel of John, Jesus is surrounded by people who do not understand what he's come to do or why he's there. And now in this text, he's, he's uh, faced with Lazarus who's sick, and he tells his disciples in the beginning of John that he's going to him to resurrect him. And, um, and thought Thomas thinks that they're going to their death. Martha later on is like, yes, I know that Jesus, that we will all be raised eventually. We saw in the Old Testament text that we have hope for resurrection and the Jews believe so. So she believes that there is a resurrection one day. But Jesus is saying, no, I will, I will raise him now. Martha is just laden, heavy with grief. Many of the Jews believed in him, while the Pharisees are afraid that the one who can raise people from the dead will rock the world. And the Romans will not like it. They even plot to take the, the life giver himself. So what does this text mean for us? I'll try to lay it to you in, out in three points. It means hope. So I've titled my sermon, Certain Hope, 
in eternal life. Certain hope in eternal life. And I will point you to three things in this text. First being hope because of God's glory. And then we will look at hope because he cares for us. And lastly, we'll look at hope because of the resurrection. So, beginning with the first one, hope because of God's glory. As we can see in the back of the bulletin that you have in your, on your lap or in your hands, Matt gives us the melodic line or a brief outline of the Gospel of John. Chapter 11 and 12 will be the end of the portion called Signs of Glory with the resurrection cycle. We will move later into the hour of glory, but we're not quite there yet. Jesus, during these signs of glory, has already performed the changing of water into wine. He has healed the official son. He has healed the invalid, fed the multitude, walked on water, healed the man born blind, and this final one will be the greatest, raising Lazarus from the dead. And coupled with these signs, he has several I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep, as we heard last Sunday. I'm the, I'm the good shepherd, also last Sunday. And now we move into one of the, our text. I am the resurrection and the life. As we've heard earlier in John, these actions and words of Jesus stirs up some commotion. And there's this tension between Rome and Jerusalem, or the Jews. And this tension is straining. We are, it's, it seems like it's about to snap. And this is exactly what the Pharisees are afraid of. We will see that the cord will snap. And, Jesus, and the Pharisees hate Jesus for all of this. They're conquered by Rome and they have their liberties infringed upon, their rights, whatever they can do. And they have sort of set up this agreement what they can do and what they can't do. And they're fearing that Jesus will mess it up, mess up this agreement with Rome. They will, that he will just turn the Romans against Jews and just wipe the Jews out. Or, as well, I'll get into it later, the other fears that the Jews have. So, in these opening verses, we see that Jesus receives word that Lazarus is sick. And it says to the text that Jesus loved these people. So, what does he do about it? Does he run, run as fast as he can? Does he heal Lazarus from afar, as he did with the official son? Does he command winds to, to take him to Lazarus so that he can heal him because he's sick? No. He waits. He waits for two days. I'm like, why? He loves Lazarus, the Bible says. He loves the sisters, and he hears that their brother is sick, and he loves them. So what does he do? He waits he waits longer. I mean, like, I have a son. He's homesick now. And I know that if I hear he's being sick, I'll run to him. I'll cancel all my plans and I'll go and see what I can do for him. Because I love him. And the Bible says that Jesus loved them. And therefore he waited. And we'll see what the logic of this is. Because I would think, like, run and save him. Heal him. But he doesn't. And uh, he says that this illness does not, does not lead to death, but for the glory of God. 
And these two things see- might seem opposites of each other. Like, why wouldn't you just go and heal him and gain the glory of healing him? But we will see why he waited. So after these two, sta- two days, he says to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples says like, Jesus, no, you can't go. The Jews will kill you for it. You know already that they hate you. And they have tried to kill you before. They have been angry with, with you before. They've tried to seize you before. And now you want to go back there? And Jesus says, don't worry, we'll go there. And uh, I, I must wake up Lazarus. And the, the disciples think, okay, but is he sleeping? Is that it? No, he, he's, he's dead. So I'll go and raise him. And Thomas is just like, well, let's go die with him. And in it, I, I love his faith. I think it's faith that he portrays, that he, he doesn't run from it. He, does, he doesn't say like, okay, Jesus, you go on ahead. I'll just stay over here. No, he says, okay, then let's go die. He believes that this is the turning point of Jesus' ministry, and it is. So the reason or the logic why Jesus stays behind, we see in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead, in the, been in the tomb four days. So Jesus came too late. He didn't come in time to save him, or at least heal him. We know that Jesus is divine, so he knew about this. And so he knew that by waiting, he would be too late. And he said in verse 4, as I already said, that this sickness will not lead to death. Just as the man born blind, as we heard about in John 9, Jesus says that this will work so that the, the works of God might be displayed. And Mary, when, when Jesus comes, she says it's the same. If you'd been there, like you could have, you could have healed him. You could have, saved, you could have saved my brother and he would not have died. The thing is, and the reason why Jesus waits, is that Lazarus was probably dead already when the messenger came to Jesus in the first place. <clears throat> this is because Lazarus has, when Jesus comes, Lazarus has been dead already two days. And Jesus waits two out of those four. And commentator says that based on the distance between these two cities where Jesus is and Martha and Mary and Lazarus lives, it's about a day's travel. So even if Jesus left right away, it will still have taken one day to go to Jesus and one day back. And Jesus waits for two more days. That is four days. So Lazarus was probably dead just after the messenger left for Jesus. So even if Jesus had come right away, Lazarus would still have been dead. So the delay then was not to bring about the death of Lazarus, but the glory of God. For it revealed Jesus for who he was, what he was going to do. He was to be the sacrificial lamb, raise himself and show us that his promise to raise us is well grounded. He is not just healing Lazarus' sickness, but he's going to raise him from the dead to the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. So in Jesus' actions here, we see that his ways are not our ways and his plans are not our plans. If Mary and Martha had had their way, the raising of Lazarus might have been not that powerful or might have not even happened at all. And how often can we be prone to do this as well? We wanted our way. 
we want it to happen on our time. In sickness and hardship, in difficult times, we want it our way. But the stunning thing Jesus has here is that things happen on God's schedule so that we might, be, might, be, might believe. Many times we can be tempted to believe that oh, if only things were easier. But Jesus says that this, these things happen so that God can get glory from it and you can believe. Your faith will increase by things you go through. And uh, the disciple, and he says that the disciples will hear it and they will be built up, but this text is also for us. So, because God's glory is at stake, it says, we can have a strong hope in the resurrection. Not only for Lazarus, but by Lazarus's example, we can see that death is not the final end, and Jesus has the power to raise people from the dead. So, let us say in difficult times, even in this, for God's glory. And remember the prayer that we prayed this morning as we pray every Sunday that your will be done and not ours. My second point then, hope because he cares for us. Mary and Martha finds out that Jesus is coming and they both go to him one before the other. Martha says to Jesus, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. Jesus responds by saying that Lazarus will rise again. Martha, maybe a little confused, says, Yeah, I, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. But to this, Jesus gives her one of the I am statements, that I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, he yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks, Do you believe this? Do we believe this? Martha's answer is, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Let our answer be the same. And let this text inspire and enlighten you to do this. Mary, the other sister, is overcome with feelings, falling at his feet, weeping when she comes to him. Not only her, but a whole procession is following her. It says that, that Bethany was two miles off Jerusalem. And normally when Jews died, they would hire um, professional griefers, like wailing women, it's called. They are just there to, to weep. And family, friends, relatives, people who knew Lazarus, people who know Martha and Mary, comes also. So in verse 31, it says, when, when Mary finally comes to go to Jesus, it says that the Jews who were with her in her house consoling her, they followed her out because they think that she's going to the tomb to grieve. She doesn't go to the tomb, but she goes to Jesus. And when Jesus sees her and her grief, it says that he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? And in this, we see also that it says that Jesus weeps. So we have the sisters, their friends, family, extended relationships, and these professional weepers. It's all quite the show. And when Jesus sees it all, he's greatly troubled. Is, Jeaning, is Jesus joining the, the weeping crowd, the wailing people? No. According to Carson uh, and, and his commentary, this greatly troubled is not just sad. It's more, 
it's it, the word is often um, the application is often used for horses snorting, <laughs> and when used with humans, it's often used in anger, in outrage, in emotional indignation. It's <clears throat> it's a well of emotions and an, and an anger. Because Jesus is not the sippy guy. Here he's groaning or sighing. And the, f- the interesting thing here in the text, when it, it says that the people are weeping and Jesus is weeping, but it, it's used t- two different words in the original text. The weeping people, they're just wailing. They're just, ah, they're crying. They're like, it's, it's awful to look at almost. But Jesus' word is he's shedding tears. He's indignant, indignant, he's angry, he's feeling this raw emotion, and it brings him to tears. So, anger? Can you be angry without sinning? Well, Jesus didn't sin, so he, there must be a way for anger to be part of a Christian life without sin. Jesus is... We, we can wonder, is it because of the sin and sickness and death in a fallen world that Jesus is feeling all these emotions and leads to him crying? Is it their unbelief that he's angry with them, that he, they, doesn't, they don't believe him in him or his resurrection? It says that some of the bystanders, well, some of the bystanders were grieving like pagans. And as First Thessalonians 4 says, like the rest of men who have no hope. They're just grieving because they don't believe that there is hope for the deceased as if there is no resurrection as which Isaiah clearly points to and while being the the objects of his wrath because it says that God is angry with the wicked all day he's, he also loves them greatly so he's troubled an anger not of hate but a strong emotion nonetheless and so he weeps also in front of Lazarus's tomb and, and the Jews are saying, oh, see how he loved him. And I think it's true. He did love him. And it, it, uh, it's included to why he wept. But some of the Jews said, could he not have healed him? He who could heal the, as he says, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? He could. But he chose to do something else to display the glory of God even more. So, to conclude my, my second point, <clears throat> sorry, Jesus does not chide or yell at Martha for her misconceptions or misbeliefs about who Jesus is telling her that he is. He does not lecture Mary because she's just grieving. This Lamb of God, who often in the Bible acts as the Lion of Judah, has a sharp remark for the grief, has not a sharp remark for the grief that is happening here, although he reacts strongly to it. Jesus understands their pain and grief, and I must believe accept, accept it, but comforts, and therefore we should not grieve like those who have no hope in the resurrection. We can also be comforted by Jesus' full emotional range, and he shows us that he cares for us. The Bible, I will give you some citations for hope and show that Jesus does care for us. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him 
because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Isaiah 43. Two more. When the righteous cry for help, the psalm says, The Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34. And can a, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will never, I will never, I will not forget you. Isaiah 49. On to my third point. Hope because of the resurrection. Hope because of the resurrection. So we've come to Jesus being in front of Lazarus' tomb. And all of these people are standing around, not knowing what is going on, but probably thinking that Jesus is coming to the tomb to mourn, which would be normal and appropriate to think. He loves Lazarus and the sisters, and some people have probably seen him with them. And just just now, some of them com- commented on how he loves them. So Jesus moved again. He asked them to open up Lazarus' tomb by removing the stone from this tomb site. And Martha, probably a bit confused, says that there will be an unpleasant smell because he's been dead for days. Like, the body will start to decompose and she's she's she doesn't understand why do you want why do you want to open the tomb and i think it's safe to say that the crowd the sisters they're all confused and jesus sort of put his neck on the line by saying what he will do in advance and if he fails then they know that he's a fraud but if he doesn't he shows them that he's a prophet so he says he prays to the father and he says father I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. And Jesus then cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I imagine that the seconds must have lasted for eternities while shocked and grieving bystanders wait dumbfounded. Being extremely surprised by this prayer and this shout and having heard this text be read and read it myself many times now and earlier on in life and maybe you as well you might have just read it and think like, okay he raised Lazarus awesome but imagine standing there at the tomb site and someone you care for that has just died you have grieved for four days and someone says, could you please open the tomb? Could you open the casket? <laughs> I would have been shocked. I would have, I would have wanted to hit some people. But then the, I would almost say the, the outrage that Jesus is just saying, stand up. And he expects him to do it. I, I would think he was a madman. And these people, probably the same if someone just stands at the tomb, tomb and says, Come alive! And they wait. 
and what comes next must have been thunder in their ears, feet shuffling from inside the tomb. I, I would expect it would be like the largest drum I've ever heard. Like each footstep would go boom, boom, boom. Even just if it, it's just a man coming out. But it's not just a man coming out. It's not just a man coming out. He's been raised from the dead. And this man, not, uh, not just being dead, but dead for four days. And the body starts to break down by that point. So it's not just a man who's just fallen over dead and is raised up, but it's a man that has been dead for four days and is decomposing, and he's restored fully and stands up alive. So a lot of these Jews sees this, and it says that many of the Jews believed, and rightly so, I would have, but many of them disbelieve. They run off to the Pharisees to tell them about it. And when the Pharisees hear of it, it must have been the last drop in the glass of water that just makes it tip over. They gather their council and they wonder what they're going to do with them. And their main concern all this time is that their nation, is that the nation will actually believe in Jesus who does all these great signs and they will turn to him and away from them. And they fear that Romans will come down upon the Jews because the Romans entrusts the Jews to handle their nation, but they can't, and the Jews will see, well, the Romans will see that they can't handle their own nation because of the uproar that Jesus is causing. And then Caiaphas, the high priest, says, you do not understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He does not say this on, an, on his own, own accord, but by being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from, and so from that day on, they planned to kill him. And uh, as, we, as we read in Isaiah uh, 10, I, I, heard, I heard this this morning. I read the text, but this came to mind in Isaiah, no, sorry, Isaiah 26, of course, our Old Testament scripture. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness in the land of uprightness. He deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your seal for your people and be ashamed. Let there be fire. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. So some, well, a lot of people believe, but a lot of people disbelieve, and they do not see the majesty of what has just occurred. John says that this is, this is, that Jesus is going to die for the nation, but also to gather in into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah 49, 6. He says, It's too light a thing that you should be my, be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end to the end of the earth. And in 1 John 2, 2, John says that Jesus is the preparation, the preparation, 
propitiation for our sins, and not for all ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And as Matt preached last time, Jesus had, uh, had other sheep that he must gather in. So to conclude this third point, let us look to the resurrection. Not just to Lazarus only, but to Jesus's. Martha said that I know that he will I, I know he will rise in resurrection, perhaps pointing back to Jesus' promise early in John six to fulfill the will of him, him who sent him, that he should lose nothing of all that was given to Jesus and raise it on the last day. Or in John five, where Jesus says that there will be a resurrection to life or to judgment, depending on one's life. Jesus explicitly says that I am the resurrection. He would not just bring it about, but he was the, ra- the way and the reason for it. Another thing in John five twenty one, we see that the father raises the dead and therefore the son can give life to whom he will. It is those who the father draws to himself who will believe and it's those who will be raised up. John six continues. Those who do not, those who does believe has eternal life. John three says, Jesus says as much also in John 6 about him being the bread of life that comes down from heaven and those who eat of it will not die if we keep to him and keep his word. So to conclude my sermon, Pastor Matt's melodic line or main symphony of John as we can see in the back of the bulletin is the gospel of John is a manifestation of the glory of Christ through many signs and witnesses so that you may believe and have life in his name. John also says as much in the end of chapter 20. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. This specific event with Lazarus happened and John wrote it down for us so that we may believe and have life in Jesus' name. What an event. This is the good news of the gospel, that God will raise us up to life, eternal life with him at the last day. Swift feet bring good news. Jesus had some feet come to him bring bad news. And Lazarus comes out on his own two feet because of Jesus' words. Isaiah 52.7 says, Isaiah 52.7, if you would join me there, it's a little longer citation. Isaiah 52.7. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns as king. The voice of, voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for they, they clearly see Yahweh's return to Zion. Break forth, sing for joy together to ruins of Jerusalem, for Yahweh has comforted his people, for he has redeemed Jerusalem. Yahweh has bared his holy arm to the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Do you believe that Jesus is God, that he had the power to save Lazarus? Then know that he has the power to raise you also to the newness of life on the last day. If you don't, please turn to the light and believe in Jesus or you will continue in your darkness and you will find utter gloom and doom. If you do not believe Jesus is the one he says he is, you will also be raised with the judgment and not to life. 
Up until now, Jesus has done marvelous works already. He has raised Jairus' daughter, who was just deceased. He raised a man on the way to the grave a few hours after being dead. He raised a man that was totally dead and rotting. And when it comes to Jesus, there's not much difference between four days or 4,000 days or 730,000 days as it has been until now, approximately. Dead is dead, and what is gone cannot by itself be raised. But the one who raised Lazarus, a completely dead man who was breaking apart, can also raise us on the last day. So to those of us who have loved ones have passed away, concerning those who have fallen asleep, so that, they, so that you will not grieve us, also the rest, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Thus also God will bring those who have fallen asleep through Jesus together with him. This is uh, First Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of command, just as with Lazarus. And with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of the God, trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be snatched away at the very same, at the, at the same time together with them in the clouds for a meeting with the Lord in the air. And thus we will be with the Lord together, together with the Lord for, for always. Therefore comfort one another with, with these words. First Thessalonians 4. The Jews had reason for hope in eternal life found in the scriptures we've seen. How much more can we have assurance of resurrection power and eternal life?